0: Well, many of you know that I have four sisters and no brothers, and I know you feel my pain. (laughs) But growing up, the only good thing about that arrangement is that I am the oldest. But being a brother, I was always on the lookout for ways to bother my sisters. It didn't take me long to figure out that if I teased my sister, Kathy, she would scream loudly. And then she would get in trouble for screaming, and then I would just exit the room with a big grin on my face. Kathy's tried to pay me back over the years. For example, my wife Beth received a birthday card from Kathy with these words in it. To a great sister-in-law, now that you've been in the family a while, you've discovered our funny little secret. In fact, you're married to him. Real funny. One of my goals growing up was to try to get all four of my sisters crying at the same time. (laughs) You would think that'd be easy, but it was actually hard because I'd get one or two crying and then they'd stop and I tried, so I wasn't really able to do it until one time when I finally accomplished my task, my task, I'll never forget it. It was a Friday afternoon, we were driving in our 1966 yellow Ford station wagon (laughs) with no air conditioning, no power steering, no radio, and we were going to visit our grandparents up in the promised land, that's Wisconsin for those of you who don't know. (laughs) So before we left for this trip, my dad took me aside and we had a father-son talk, and he said, Brian, I don't want you to irritate your sisters on this drive. And I'm like, all right. But after about 30 minutes, I decided it was a great time to launch my attack. So I pinched Kathy, I pulled Jeannie's hair, I insulted Mary, I teased my baby sister Beth. And as I sat there with a big grin on my face while they all cried in surround sound, my dad, who was normally a soft spoken man, said these words All right that's it. And then he pulled the car over to the side of the road, slammed on the brakes like dust is flying from the gravel in the shoulder, and he shouted these words, get out, we'll pick you up on Sunday. I just stared at him in disbelief, and then I realized he wasn't joking. And so as I got out of the car, I pleaded for mercy only to hear my dad say these words, get out and close the door behind you. I couldn't believe it. I'd finally accomplished my elusive goal. And here I am standing on the shoulder of a deserted country road in the middle of Wisconsin. And as I shut the car door, my dad pulled away and drove off. Now, my sense of abandonment that Friday was nothing like what Adam and Eve experienced when God told them to get out of the garden, and he slammed the door on them. Open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. We're in the last few verses of this chapter. I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's give our attention to God's word beginning in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 3. Let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. This is an act of worship. The book of Isaiah says that God looks to the one who trembles at his word. And so we don't want to approach this tritely. We don't want to be bored with it. We want to say, oh, this is God's word. God has a message that he wants us to know. And so let's give our attention. But let's also be filled with joy because we serve a God who's revealed himself. We get to know him through his word. Let's read together. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. to the tree of life. You can be seated. Here's our main idea. Because of our sin, we can't come in. But since Jesus died on the cross to take our sin, we can now come in. As I reflected on this passage, I wrote down three words. They'll serve as our outline. Misery, mercy, and mission. Look first at the misery of man, verse 22. Let me read it again, and this time observe that this is one of the few unfinished sentences in the Bible. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, in knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever." The word then means now or since. The word behold is used in an emphatic way. It's designed to get our attention. It could be translated like this. Look now. Now we see again how God holds Adam ultimately responsible for the sin that both Adam and Eve committed. Well, why is that? Well, it's because Adam is the representative head of the human race. The consequences applied to both of them. But when he sinned and when he was sentenced, so were we. Now, we've made a point of that in this series. But let me also say this, that you and I are responsible for our sins. We can't just say, well, Adam did it. I can't believe Adam did that. Listen, we would have done it too and probably quicker then he did it. We're all sinners. Notice the use of the plural, like one of us. Well, that's an allusion to the Trinity. We won't take time to develop that, but you can go back to Genesis 126 and see more. The statement knowing good and evil means Adam and Eve intellectually knew the difference between good and evil because of God's command to not eat of the fruit, the, the tree's fruit. But when they chose to disobey, oh well, now it's not just intellectual. Now they knew evil experientially. Evil has now become unleashed within them. You see, they saw themselves as judges and arbiters of what is right and wrong. Instead of allowing God to be the measure of all things, essentially they usurped his role. In essence, they're saying something like this, we will not submit to God, but instead we're going to be God ourselves. You know, anytime a person believes he can decide for himself what is right and wrong, That person is acting like God. An illustration of this is found in the very last verse of the book of Judges. This is a summary statement of what society was like then. As I read it, think of our society today. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Man, we see that today, don't we? I mean, people are just defining what's right and wrong according to what feels good to them. One person captures it well that says people today listen with their eyes and they think with their feelings. The popular mantra is you have your truth and I have my truth. Well, let's just consider briefly what that's led to in our culture. This has led to an explosion of raw evil as children continue to be exterminated in wombs and murdered in their classrooms. Pregnancy resource centers have come under fire in the state of Illinois like never before. And you have observed, haven't you, that somehow the killer of six Christians has now become the victim and now Christians are being blamed. I mean one pastor tweeted this, we have entered a new phase of persecution where Christians are literally being murdered and then being blamed for the murder. This is how the father of lies works. He murders and then blames the righteous for their unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, we are not simply in some conflict in our culture. We are in a spiritual battle. You know that, don't you? And you do not have the choice of saying, well, I don't want to be in it. Listen, you're in it. And many of us have bullseyes on us. Let me take us to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. One veteran pastor, he pastors in the Chicago area, says that the shootings in Nashville, or before he makes a statement, he quotes 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then he made a statement that has stayed with me. He said this, Evil is real and always looking for an opportunity to devour and destroy. Perhaps it is a coincidence that evil is the word live spelled backwards but it's a poetic reminder that evil is anti-life friends since adam and eve now know evil if they were to reach out and take from the tree of life they would be sealed in evil eternally with no hope of change In other words, had they stayed in the garden and eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in their sin, separated from God for eternity. Paradise was not only lost, it was transformed into a prison. And so as our triune God contemplated Adam and Eve's miserable condition, it's as if God stopped mid-sentence, You see that in many English translations with the use of the dash. There's like this sudden silence because, well, the result is too terrible to describe. The ESV study Bible says it like this. God begins a sentence and he breaks off without finishing it. For the man to live forever in his sinful condition is an unbearable thought and God must waste no time in preventing it. Friends, because of our sin, we cannot come in. But since Jesus died on the cross to take our sin, we can now come in. Let's look next at the mercy of God. We see God's mercy on display in verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. That word, therefore, helps us see the reason that God sent Adam and Eve out. It can be translated like this. Sending forth and away. It's the same word used by Abraham in Genesis 21, 14, when he sent Hagar away. I'm reminded of a boy who drew a picture of a man. The man was driving a car, and in the back seat, there was a man and a woman, and the parent said, hey, what are you drawing here? And the boy replied, well, I'm drawing God driving Adam and Eve out of the garden. (laughs) See, the first phrase in verse 24 is much stronger than that. He drove out the man. Would you notice the two words? First it says sent out, and now drove out. They are now forcefully evicted. It has the idea of casting out. Due to their sin, Adam and Eve were not allowed to stay in, but instead were driven out. That's the same word used in Exodus 6.1 to describe what Pharaoh would do to the Israelites. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Consider this from this point on. There's a definitive line of demarcation between God and man, leaving humans as exiles searching for home. Now, ultimately, this is an act of mercy, so Adam and Eve did not have to live forever in their cursed condition. God protected them from the horror of eternal hell by preventing them from eating from the tree of life. If God would have let them stay, they would have been doomed forever. And one person writes, had they eaten from the tree of life in their spiritually dead condition, they would have perpetuated that existence indefinitely. Thus, the garden would have become hell on earth, populated with the undying dead, forever living and forever dead. Oh, once again, we see God's mercy and his justice mingled together. Because God is a just God, he decisively and swiftly expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. But because he's a God of mercy, he protected them from eating from the tree of life so they wouldn't live in their fallen state forever. So because of our sin, you and I cannot come in. But because Jesus died on the cross to take our sin, well, we're now invited in. Let's look next at the mission of the cherubim. After casting Adam and Eve out, God called up his mighty angels. He has a mission for them. Join me in the next part of verse 24. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. So following their expulsion, Adam and Eve went east, and that's a direction often associated with disobedience in the Bible. Uh, We see that in chapter 4, verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. At the same time, the entrance to the tabernacle and the entrance to the temple faced east, which means the garden of eden was this foreshadowing of where god would meet with his people the idea behind placed means they encamped or settled they were given a long term assignment well who are the cherubim well they're this they're this class of heavenly messengers they appear some 65 times in the bible the word cherubim is plural for the word cherub but you need to scrub your minds of those cute little chubby cherubs uh, they're not that no these are like warrior angels they're somewhat mysterious they're often described in the bible with human and animal like features these celestial beings are often depicted with wings their purpose is to magnify the holiness and glory of god their presence marks the throne of god And their power is exhibited by serving as guardians of holy spaces where God dwells. We could call them the heavenly secret service. So when God gave instructions, let's fast forward for building the ark, the cherubim figure prominently, join me in Exodus chapter 25. I'll begin reading in verse 18. And you shall make two... Cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be, and you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel." Cherubim, play a key role in God's redemptive narrative. Let's look just one chapter over. Listen to these intricate instructions. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with what? With cherubim, skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy And so this is the tabernacle. This is the portable worship center that traveled with God's people in the wilderness. So these embroidered images reminded them of Eden and the flaming sword in the hands of the cherubim. Now, fast forward, Solomon now builds a more permanent worship center called the temple. Uh, Join me now in 1 Kings where we read... These words, around all the walls of the house, he carved, ingrained, engraved figures of what? Cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. So get this. The inside of the temple was made to look like the Garden of Eden. You know, one of the best children's books to capture why Jesus died and rose again um, is a book called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. Uh, Parents or grandparents, if you're looking for a book that explains the gospel in a way that children and grandparents can understand, this is that book. There's a QR code up there. I'm giving you permission. Take your phone out, scan that, and you can order that now if you want to think about it and look, at, look up it later. We posted that link on Sermon Extras on the app or website. By the way, this book will serve as the basis for the curriculum for next Sunday for all four Easter services. Our children are going to learn this. And I wanted to whet our appetites by asking Chastity Homequist to read some excerpts of that.
1: A very long time ago, right here in this world, there was a garden, but the people did a terrible thing. They decided they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God calls this sin, and sin spoils things. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore. And he sent them outside. To show the people they had to stay outside, God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. The angels were like a big keep out sign. Now things were sometimes bad, and people were sometimes sad. But people still kept sinning because they didn't want God to be in charge. So no one could come into God's wonderful place. God said, because of your sin, you can't come in. He told the people to build a special building called a temple where he would live. In the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the world, the place where God was, nothing bad and nothing sad. It was very exciting. But then God told the people to put a big curtain around this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it. It was a big keep-out sign. For hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people that God had said, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in.
0: So whether cherubim are on the east end of Eden, on guard, on mission, or they're fashioned out of gold on top of the mercy seat, or embroidered onto the thick curtain, the message is the same. We cannot come in because of our sin. Genesis 3.24 ends with a description of the mission entrusted to the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The flaming sword was whirling and twirling rapidly in every direction, reminding Adam and Eve there was no way even to sneak in, reminding them how paradise was lost and they could not go back. Hebrews 1.7 says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Fire is a common motif for the presence of Yahweh. Deuteronomy 4, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. So previously, Adam had been given the task of guarding the garden, not anymore. Now the job is given to the cherubim. Oh, would you know they don't shut down the way? No, the Bible says they guarded the way to the tree of life. So there's a ray of hope. There's still a way to life. The tree of life was guarded, but not destroyed. Let's go back to the book.
1: Then, one day, God the Son came to live in this world as a person. He was called Jesus. People still didn't want to let God be in charge, so they decided to put Jesus on a cross to die. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, all the bad things we do and all the sad things they cause. Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God had ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. And Jesus has sent everyone an invitation to come and live with him there too. He tells us, God says it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. But I died on the cross to take your sin, so all my friends can now come in.
0: Excellent. Let's give her a hand. Chastity's one of our junior high leaders. She'll also be part of the children's ministry uh, next Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Another reason why I wanted to do that is to help all of us just be reminded what kind of learning takes place in our Edge Kids ministry. It's gospel-focused, it's biblical, and it's designed to help children know who God is and then know Him through the new Birth Now, I'm going to invite you, take your Bible, and you'll have no trouble finding this passage. It's all the way at the end of it. All the way at the end of the book of Revelation. Last book, last chapter, because here we see the tree of life reappears. Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Here again, we see God's heart for the nations. Now, drop down to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may, here's the word, instead of keep out, that they may enter the city by its gates oh you're so glad you came to church today aren't you because here here's what here's what we learned together the garden was once closed but the gates are open again the cherubim are no longer guarding the tree of life because the way has been opened by jesus who is himself the way the truth and the life The flaming sword is gone. Why? Because Jesus took the full brunt of it for us. Now, let me pick up and explain what happened when I was cast to the side of the road. You're wondering, right? Like, when when did I find my way back? Well, after my dad left me, my sister started pleading with my dad to come back and get me. So eventually, after what seemed like hours, which in reality were only minutes, my dad turned the car around. He drove back, pulled over on the shoulder, got out, and opened the door for me. And I went back in the car, and we continued on our journey. He invited me back in. Do you know what my sisters were doing? They were embracing me. I don't know why. So even though I had wronged them, they extended grace and community to me. Even though I deserved to be excluded, they interceded on my behalf. I'm sure they had second thoughts after I got them all crying again a few (laughs) short time later. But it made me think of this. Who do you know who's on the side of the road? Who do you know who's been told out? Who do you know who feels like they've been dq because of their sins, because of their behavior, because of things they've said or the things they've done, and they think, I can never go in to a church, much less have a relationship with God. We all know people like that. Well, now it's our opportunity to intercede on their behalf, to plead with the Father, to ha- allow them to come in, And then to make the ask and invite them to join us for one of our Easter services. Our goal this year is for every one of us to reach at least one person with the gospel. See, your road back to paradise is blocked if you try to get there in your own efforts. There's a flaming sword and it turns every way if you try to approach him on your own terms. That's impossible. God is holy, and he will not allow unholiness into his presence. Habakkuk 1.13, you are who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look it wrong. Now, there is a way back to God. But it's a narrow path entered by a narrow gate the flaming sword of God's righteous and holy wrath was plunged into the side of Jesus. Hey, check out this verse that most of us don't contemplate often from Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that's the God of the angel armies. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Do you ever feel like there's a brick wall between you and God? Does God seem far away and distant? Well, as you read through the Old Testament, you can't help but recognize that God is holy. He's majestic, and he's separated from his people. There's this doctrine of divine distance. Why? It's because of our sin. Our sin prevents us from coming in. The curtain that we've mentioned here, the curtain that was in the temple, the curtain that separated the people from the priest from going into the presence of God. The high priest was allowed to go in on the Day of Atonement one day of the year. That curtain was 60 feet long, 30 feet high, and was about two inches thick. It took 300 priests just to install it. This piece of lasting tapestry was designed to withstand all strains, all tears, all rips, and the cherubim were the central figures on it. In order for us to get a a sense of what that was like, I've asked Daryl Pearsall to come up, uh, and I just have a curtain here. I don't know where it's from. Beth found this for me today. You can see it's pretty thin, and Daryl, I was wondering, I know you work out. Can you tear that for us? He's got nothing. Anybody else? All right, Daryl, thank you for that. Let's give him a hand. Imagine, if you will, a curtain two inches thick. There's nobody who could tear that. And do you know the Bible says that the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom? Why? Because God tore the curtain when Jesus paid the price with his life. That word top means from above, which helps us see that God did it. Oh, go back in your minds to the mercy seat. With the image of two cherubim constructed out of gold on the cover, one at one end, one at the other, and they're facing one another. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait for us to worship as we consider this passage. John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw, what? Two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. Notice this detail. One at the head and one at the feet. Are you ready for some spiritual goosebumps? Those two angels may have been positioned like the cherubim were over the mercy seat. Why? Because Jesus is our mercy seat. Let's pull all this together. In our misery, Jesus has extended us mercy so we can live on mission. Paradise has been lost and people are lost apart from Christ. But paradise lost has become paradise regained through the new birth. The door to heaven is now open. Those on the side of the road are welcomed in. While the first cherubim were charged with keeping man out, the rest of Scripture speaks of angels fulfilling God's plan to bring man back in. Consider these words from a pastor. Nowhere is this seen more prominently in angels announcing the arrival of the sun, marking the threshold between heaven and earth. The good news is announced by angels to Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph, and to the shepherds. And so if you've not yet entered in by being born again, it's time for you to repent of your sins, believe Jesus died as your substitute and rose again on the third day, and then receive him as your Lord and Savior right now. Because of what Jesus did for us, Hebrews 10:19 to 22 tells us we can now come, this is a mind blow, right into the very presence of the Holy God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us oh here it is, through the what? Through the curtain. And then we're told what the curtain is. That is, through his flesh. So we come to our holy God through Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now instead of keep out, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. You and I can now enter into that paradise from which humanity was expelled. We can take of the tree of life and eat abundantly from it.